0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta drive deep out to left field he clubbed it Brady twisting and turning looking up and giving up it's a home run for Danby Swanson Flare out towards shallow right that's big trouble Albies going back he dives and he makes the catch what a play Ozzie Albie. Swanson is headed for three he'll try for an inside the parker relay throw comes toward the plate he'll score standing and it's his second inside the park home run of the season this is your weekly podcast Dedicated to the Atlanta Braves Farm System. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves Farm System and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me for my work over on talkingchop.com. I have an apology to make to our listeners this week. Uh, I apologize for not having a show last week. Uh, and that was completely on me. Uh, there was a bit. There were certainly some issues with scheduling last week in terms of a lot of us having a lot going on last week. But the particular problem was mine. My daughter was sick, not feeling very well for a few days. And with my wife out of town, I kind of feel like I need to focus on being a dad for those few days. And combine that with then – as soon as my wife gets back in town, she gets the decided quote-unquote gift of two kidney stones over the course of three days – Uh, I was really out of it this past week in terms of getting an episode up. And so I really am sorry about that. And I've been a little bit out of the loop in terms of the minor minor leagues in general this past week as a result. But fortunately, regular co-host and good buddy and longtime talking shop uh, contributor and minor league writer Garav Vidak is going to be joining me this week to kind of help me get caught up, help all of us get caught up with what's been going on over the last couple weeks. Garav, what's been going on, buddy?
2: Just watching a ton and ton of minor league baseball. A lot of these players are – really peaking right now and with Atlanta the way it is it's been a nice reprieve from watching that team and being able to focus on the more fun aspects of it which have been the minor league system
1: yeah the big league team's been pretty brutal especially in terms of how they've been choosing to lose games um and uh, I can uh, personally attest that all the all the other guys have been really grinding uh given how much I've had to kind of step back over the past week, again, just dealing with family stuff, nothing serious. Everyone's fine. But you know, these guys have been really grinding, watching a lot of stuff and doing a lot of co- content, both for talking Chop as well as over um, just on their own personal Twitter feeds. So make sure you follow Gaurav vdek on his, on his feed uh over on Twitter. And you know, Again, i going to have to rely on Garov to kind of get me caught up a little bit. You know, i also been pretty busy on the po- the podcasts that I'm going to be working on outside of this feed, but I'll talk a little bit about that towards the end of the episode. So, Garov, first things first, we have two pieces of news. I'll call them the two major pieces of news. We certainly have, you know, like minor IL stints and, you know, absences here and there. But the two big pieces of news this week were Jared Johnson, a player that we have been quite high on, particularly Matt Powers, uh, since he was drafted. Talk to me a little bit about how his debut down in Augusta and what did he look like to you?
2: Uh, super, super anticipated. I, I know you called out Matt, but for myself, I've been watching, I've been hearing about him, I've been talking to players about him. They know the kind of arsenal that he has. But drafted him, he's super raw. He made his debut, uh, was able to go two point like two two innings. Uh, really showcased a lot of stuff that I wanted to see, which was that fastball. Really, really overpowering. He was able to locate it well. It had some late movement on it. He was able to work it on inside and outside on both left and right-handed batters, which was significant, especially for someone so raw like that. Um, easily, plus, plus gas, uh, you know, sitting 97-plus easily. You could you, you could make the argument that if, in the worst-case scenario, and he, you know, ends up a reliever, that dude can throw over 100 with absolutely no issues whatsoever. Uh, outside of his fastball placement and showing a much improved uh, command that from what I expected, he also showcased his slider, which was a bit slurvy at times. Uh, It could become loopy again. He is a raw prospect. There's going to be tons of work that needs to go into him. But when he was able to get on top of that slider and really, really, really create a tight spin, it was overpowering for low eight hitters. If there's any chance that he's able to can throw that, throw that slider consistently, He's going to end up outside of low wave sooner than later, just because of how overpowering those two pitches are. Uh, again, his first start after a very lengthy layoff, I could not be more excited about what I got to saw. He lost his command, as you can expect. Um, again, ma- mainly with the slider, he gave up a two run home run, uh, only lasted 2.2 innings. But from the small glimpses of what we got to see, he showcased why the Braves gambled on him, why the Braves were willing to go on someone so raw and, Uh, I could not be more excited. I really can't wait to see his next outing to see if there's any types of, particularly that slider again, to see if there's improvements on it, if he's able to locate it better, if he's able to keep it tighter instead of having it become more slurvy. But, again, folks, Jared Johnson has an electric arm. If you have the opportunity, I highly recommend watching him pitch.
1: Uh, Absolutely. I thought that, you know, again, just kind of looking back as I was able to try to get caught up, like I really like what, the potential of that breaking ball. Uh, I would like to see more late action on it. It's just, it's not the I don't think it's an issue of spin. I think he has the arm speed and he can do all that to get the speed that he needs on it. But you know, just in terms of getting late action, because I've been kind of a proponent of I don't particularly care if a if a curveball is you know has like more vertical hook than we're used to, or if it's like a, a more traditional slider where it kind of wipes out away from a guy, or it kind of has that kind of slurvy look to it. As long as the movement is like tight and late. I like kind of harder power curveballs as opposed to kind of the slower ones, if that makes any sense. And I think that he's the kind of guy that could get – that that could excel in doing so. But again, this is – we're talking about a kid who, like, was in extended – didn't have the alternate side all last year, has just been working in extended spring. We don't know – typically in extended spring, we're seeing guys throw two or three innings. So him going 2.2 innings isn't particularly weird or concerning or anything like that. How he how quickly he gets stretched out, how he's used going forward by Augusta, and you know those are things that we're going to be monitoring probably over the next month is to kind of determine how you know we're going to kind of treat him and what we think of him as a prospect. But there's a lot to like from that debut. There really was. The fastball is legitimately very good. Uh, again, I I I want to see just kind of little things like is he going to be a kind of guy that gets the late run on it from his arm side? Is he going to be kind of a guy that you know? Consistently tries to get rise. Kind of what, what is that fastball going to consistently do very, very well? But he has the below to kind of, you know, after that, just kind of commanding it and kind of figuring out exactly how he wants to do it and how that, that ball, that ball is going to behave out of his hands once he's throwing it hard. And once he kind of figures out, how do I put it? Once he figures out that the, the types of movement that is really good from it, I think he's going to end up, it's going to do him a lot of good and he's going to miss missing a lot more bats. And again, I'm not super worried about the results that first, that first You know, starting full season ball. I still think that he looked really, really good, but, you know, again, in terms of, like, giving up the homer or anything like that, it's not something worth being super concerned about. Um, the other piece of news that we'll just touch on here really briefly, uh, Wyatt Torregas, the, the manager for Mississippi, very unexpectedly resigned from, uh, the from Double A Mississippi. Uh, we don't have a lot of details about this. You know, you hear little whispers of, you know, just some, you know, some, some discord between the team, and it's not that under, not that consuming. Uh, not that, I guess, confusing or surprising to see something like this happen, considering that that Mississippi team has been underperforming in a lot of ways. And, you know, that, with the stress of like of dealing with, like, COVID health protocols and just being a, a new manager in a new organization – Combined with, you know, what are some very strong personalities on that, on that Mississippi team, there's any number of things it could be. Or it could simply just be that he had some family issues come up that, you know, he wanted to go address. You know, again, we're not going to necessarily speculate too much as to what the result, what the results of or what resulted in him resigning. But it was a really, really abrupt uh, change, I should say, and one that is certainly going to be worth kind of keeping an eye on Mississippi as a whole. Going forward to see how well they perform, was that, was he a problem? It seems like that relationship between the problem and his players, or was it an pro- issue was higher up in him? There's a lot of things that it could be. And ultimately, you know, we'll address those details as they kind of come out. But for the moment, it's just kind of an unfortunate thing for a Mississippi roster that we had high hopes of for coming out of the of the spring, and instead they've kind of been underperforming a little bit. Uh, guys who we thought were going to be pretty good have turned out to really been struggling. And seeing kind of how this makeshift coaching staff that they're going to be implementing down in Double Mississippi going forward is going to be able to allow these guys to continue to develop, because there's some important prospects in Mississippi, not just guys that like have been having nice seasons, but guys who the Braves going forward are going to be relying upon to provide meaningful like. Play meaningful time in the next few years. This is, I mean, Double A is not that far away from just being the major leagues, and there's some guys who have a certain amount of importance to this, the Braves' future. Is this going to make? Is this change going to ultimately help that or hurt that? We don't know. But for the right now, we're just kind of something that we're monitoring. Um So as is usual, what we're going to do is we're going to go through each level, and uh, again, we're going to be leaning on Garov a little bit more than usual as opposed to me kind of jumping in and kind of providing too much of a takes because again I haven't been able to watch too much minor league baseball other than just kinda of catching up late at night when I'm like right before I'm going to sleep. Um so triple A gruff. We've and again each each week we kind of have two players that we want to highlight that have been doing well. One that hasn't been typically what happens is that means that all of us do four or five players. But uh Grav talk to me a little bit about some guys who have been performing well and some guys who have been struggling.
2: It really it really really fails to not have. We end up talking about half the roster almost every single time. Uh, you know, AAA not, may not, or Gwinnett may not have, like, the marquee names that we want. They're more of the quad A players that you're able to shuffle back and forth, and they're not necessarily the sexiest prospects, although they do have, you know, a lot of those players do have the talent to be in Major League Baseball. But uh, the first person I want to especially shout out to would be and I know a lot of people are really happy to hear this. It would be Orlando Arcia. He's continued. He started off the season extremely hot, cooled down a little bit. Over his last seven games, he's hitting 407, 429, 704, so 1.132 OPS. Yet again, showing off his improved bat. Uh, the biggest knock, I would have to say, would be his uh, ability to walk and, and, and draw walks, rather, because the batting average and the OBP aren't that different, and it's a little scary to be that. Reliant on your hit tool, especially someone that doesn't have or hasn't had a necessarily great hit tool. But you can't you can't dispute what's happening over in Gwinnett right now, regardless of whatever ball that they're using um, against right-handed hitter or against right-handed pitching. He's hitting 284, 324, 526. So again, he's not hitting as well, but he's still I would say pretty much crushing right-handed pitching and against left-handers even better. And he's drawing more walks against them, so obviously he's seeing. Uh, the ball out of the left hand. Lefty's better. Uh, he's hitting 333, 425, 587 against them. So he's having a fantastic season down in in Gwinnett. Will it necessarily translate to the big leagues? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, you know the talent there. You know his pedigree. He was a highly rated prospect over in, in the Brewers organization, and he's gone up to the major league level and hasn't hit. They made some adjustments to him. He's performing really well right now. Is he the shortstop of the future? Can Dansby str- if Dansby struggles, will he come up? Uh, you know, that's, they're kind of similar players to me, so I, I don't necessarily see that. And it's not like RC is a franchise cornerstone or anything like that. Um, so it, I, I, I don't know if you're going to see him much in Atlanta, but have to say he is performing extremely well. Uh, The second person and someone that I talked about a lot, especially with Garrett last week, would be Christian Pache returning to the lineup and returning from the IL and showcasing almost an entirely retooled swing, almost on the fly. I was so surprised when I saw him. And while the adjustments might be slight to be able to repeat them during a game, I was kind of taken aback. he definitely opened up his stance some. His his uh, front foot is now, uh, is now open slightly. And as we all saw in, a, in Atlanta, a lot of pitchers were attacking him on the inside because he was always unbalanced and trying to cover the outside of the plate. Well, opening him up keeps him a little straighter, a little further back, so he's not spilling over. And on top of that, he also uh, debuted in a much higher leg kick. Uh, I speculate, and I talked to a few people, including David Lee, and uh, he agrees that that's the reason, but it looks like he incorporated a higher leg kick. That way, he stays back uh, on his back foot more instead of leaning over that plate. And as a result, uh, since his return from the IL, he's hitting 333, 36708. He's performed, he's hitting, his swing is a lot more compact. He's hitting for power. This is the Christian Pache in 2019 that made us say, okay, this is the, the center fielder of the future. So if he can continue, as something really, really to monitor closely over the next. I, I, you want to have him build up his confidence. You want, to, you want to make sure he was able to repeat this day in and day out. So I'm not saying he needs to come up for another few weeks, really. Uh, maybe he forces his hand, that hand more by performing extremely well at this level for in the next couple of weeks. I'm not sure, but it's definitely something to watch. If he's able to continue to stay back and stay balanced, He looks like a different player. You know what he's going to do on defense. If he's even league average offensively, that is a dynamite player to have on your roster. So hopefully these adjustments will stay, and he's able to continue to build off of that. Uh, It's really hard to find someone on that team that is not, I mean, you have a, a slew of pitchers, but they're more of your quad A pitchers. So really the biggest thing I want to hone in on is the biggest loss would have to be injuries. And again, that's, Pache has uh, has had a nagging uh, hamstring. Drew Waters has a nagging, I think it was a wrist injury or something like that, that's kept him out. They're not too concerned about it, but they're holding him back. Demerit's on the seven-day IL. Travis Snyder's on the inactive list. So it's a number of players that just haven't been able to play much. And, again, you really want to be able to see Pache, and especially Waters, take that next step this year. Uh, I'd love to see him kind of take over in the second half and put his name back on – everyone's radar list uh, the tools are there you know they're there you talk to especially Garrett who's watched him a lot recently and he's been struggling with the off-speed stuff so him being on that on that field taking in as many reps as he can getting as many uh, chances to recognize off-speed stuff is vital to his development so hopefully it's nothing too bad he's able to come back and he's able to stay on the field for the rest of the season so he can really really get those reps in.
1: Yeah, I definitely think those are the guys worth kind of highlighting because P- Pache certainly did look good when he came back. It's 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 pretty unfortunate when you have like a groin injury and a hamstring injury. These are the kinds of things that can be nagging, but it doesn't sound like the issue is too concerning. They like had him pinch hit after being after leaving a game, then he was out for a couple games. It, I think that they're just kind of being super careful with him, and they should be because that's a guy that kind of relies on his speed, relies on being uh, trying to be explosive. And if he's kind of retooling his swing and trying to find his confidence, you don't want him trying to play hurt because if he's playing hurt, then he might not play particularly well. And then all of a sudden you're kind of, you're delaying, you know, everything. So just let him get healthy and then let him continue to get better. You know, surprisingly, the, uh, the trio of uh, Guillermo Heredia, Abraham Almonte and, and Ender Enciarte are not being completely embarrassing up in Atlanta. Uh, it sounds, it looks like Heredia has kind of come back to earth a little bit, but Almonte's played well, which is, to the detriment of the stripers because you know Gwinnett really was relying on his offense, but he's been playing well, he's been getting on base, you know, doing work up there in Atlanta too, so, you know, props to him for making that happen. Uh and I'm pretty sure it's a thumb injury for Drew and it's a you know, open, again, we're not seeing like an extended IL stint or anything like that. Just, you know, let him get healthy, let him not get some of the soreness out and we'll they'll kinda of continue to reevaluate it. A guy I wanna highlight has been actually Kyle Muller, because the start to his season was pretty abysmal. Like Genuinely concerning that he's like was both walking a bunch of guys and getting hit hard. Uh, I I think that was a case of trying to get an adjustment where he was trying to like you know figure out where he was going to be, trying to locate his fastball and kind of trying to figure out his approach to hitters and kind of what he was supposed what he was supposed to be doing and what kind of carry and spin he was trying to put on balls. But it seems like whatever adjustments that Mike Morath down there in Gwinnett, who by the way I would put in the the pitching coach position for the Atlanta Braves immediately. Uh, if I was the Braves, but that's just me. Uh, I think he does a great job with those, those Braves guys down in triple a, you know, and I think that a lot of these adjustments that are to these guys benefits would hopefully stick a little better, uh, if they were given those kind of constant adjustments when he was up there in Atlanta. But again, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, It looks like those adjustments that he's continuing to make and help with Mueller seem to be taking, and Mueller seems to be doing a lot of work to kind of get better. His last three starts have been really good, just getting up just one earned run, striking out a bunch of guys, Uh, and he's limiting the walks, which is the biggest thing, right? Like, because, again, you can live with a couple walks. You can live with two or three. But when like you're walking four or five guys, then all of a sudden you're constantly dealing with base runners on base, and it's just turning into you're you're really kind of asking for trouble, especially against professional hitters who are just going to make contact sometimes. You don't want to give guys free give teams free base runners, and again, you can deal with a few, especially when you're missing bats because if you can get strikeouts, that's that's going to be ideal versus you know having got putting a bunch of balls in play and having to hope that your defense plays well behind you. But Mueller seems to be kind of really finding his own over, again, last three starts or so. The the beginning of the season was certainly rough, but it's nice to see kind of him make that adjustment down there in Gwinnett. And, and hopefully he can continue to build upon it because this is a Braves team that, frankly, could use a a 6'5 hulking lefty that can throw gas. If he can miss bats and stuff, this is definitely a team that could use him. Now, Rob, let's head to Double A because, again, we, we talked a little bit about it. But this is a team that's been kind of strangely scuffling. There's certainly been some guys who have been performing well. But overall, it's just been kind of – it seems like they've had trouble to find consistency on offense. You know, they have some guys who are hurt on the pitching side as well. So talk to me a little bit about Mississippi and who you like down there.
2: So the first person, and I haven't talked enough about him, obviously, in the, in the past few years. Uh, he's not the sexiest prospect, but he gets it done, and that's Nolan Kingham. Uh, he had two starts last week, fourteen point fourteen point two innings, ERA of 0.61, held opponents to an OPS of 389. He was completely dominant. Uh those two starts, I was able to watch the second one and I came away rather, rather encouraged by his progress. I think that, I think he's someone that will most likely see himself in Gwinnett later this year. Uh, his face, his fastball had, had pretty solid movement. It was super late movement. We knew he had that heavy, heavy sinking fastball. It induces so much weak contact. It's, it's pretty funny to watch uh, hitters. Because you can see them getting discouraged in real time. They think they're able to barrel this ball, and all of a sudden, it's a little blooper off the end of the bat, and it goes straight into the ground. Uh, he showcased a really good slider that kept people off balance. I wanted to see his changeup more, especially uh, especially against right-handed batters. But uh, he didn't really throw it that much, so I couldn't see it. Um, but his whole thing, you know, coming out of college was three solid pitches with okay control. Can you is he able to you know update that or improve that command? And he certainly has. On the season, he's got a walk rate of 1.51 per nine. He knows what his arsenal is. He knows he needs to induce weak contact. He pitches within the zone. He does what he needs to to get people out, and as a result, he's on my radar. He's, he's pitched fabulously this year. Again, he's not the sexy power pitcher that's going to throw the 13K per nine innings. No, he's not that. He knows what he does. He wants to induce contact, and he's doing a great job about it. Um, the second person, you know <laughs> – it's really tough. He's he's had a horrendous start to the season. Uh, a lot of people are, have been talking about, and that's Bray, Brayden Shumake. Uh He's he, it's it's been bad. Uh, there's no other way. to It, it. has
1: been quite bad. Yeah.
2: Um, but his last seven games, two seventy three, three thirty three, five forty five slash line. He's starting to get it together. Uh, his swing on the home run that he hit the other day was a little bit loopy, but he was able to obliterate that ball, which is showcasing a little more power than I really thought he had. Uh, he's not necessarily hitting particularly well against righties or lefties. That's mainly because he's been hitting really poorly. But over the last seven games, again, he has shown improvement. And his success is really pivotal for the Braves because there's not that many shortstops. You know, you have Orlando Arceo, but again, Orlando has, hasn't has performed at the major league level. You don't have much depth at short. So Brayden getting things turned around is – vital to this organization's success, so it's encouraging to see him doing better. Uh, again, you got to really... I know we're only supposed to have two good, one bad, and i got to touch on Shay Langoliers and what he's doing. He hasn't necessarily been hitting the, the cover off the ball lately. Uh, 238 batting average over his last seven, but he's also slugging at 571, so even though he's not hitting the ball well, when he is hitting, he is hitting for power, so the OPS still isn't that bad, despite only hitting 238. Um, you look at his splits, and it is a little concerning because against right-handed hitters he, or right-handed pitchers, he's hitting 302, 405, 667. And against lefties, he's hitting 200. So he's definitely shrugging against lefties more, uh, which is a little interesting. Um, but again, even during his dry spell, he's hitting for power, so the batting average doesn't really matter, and he's still walking at a pretty solid rate. And if you, I don't care how you get on base, as long as you get on base and you hit for power. That's all that really matters to me. Kinda, you know, you counter that with also what he's doing on defense. He's got a 57% caught stealing percentage. I watched his last two games trying to see anyone test it, and it doesn't seem like anyone really wants to.
1: He's it's about the time.
2: Ball. Yeah, he, he's, like, dropped the ball a couple of times, and runners don't even bother trying. It's been pretty hilarious. The, the, the word in the league is out. I don't know if you're going to see too many people testing, although it is the minor leagues and you want to see them try, but – He's just had a special kind of season. And then, unfortunately, I know I have to end on the bad note, but that would be CJ Alexander. His last seven has not been great. It's under 400 OPS. He's struggling against lefties and righties. He's striking out almost 34%. He's walking only 5%. You saw the power numbers go up earlier in the season, and, again, he's going through this spell where he's not hitting anything. He's not hitting for power, and he's not walking. So you begin to worry about his – potential placement in the system. How long are the Braves going to give someone like him? Are they going to try and bring, you know, what are they going to do in the draft-wise to try and build up that third base pipeline more? Uh, You don't want to give up on him, but the results over the past really three years, uh, of course, there wasn't anything in COVID, have been discouraging. And I said at the beginning of this year, this is a huge year for for CJ. And unfortunately so far he has not really taken – the next step yet. And you hope it's coming, but it's definitely something to monitor and something to really watch.
1: Yeah. He's definitely had a rough one. A lot of these older prospects that are, I mean like, cause Grayson Janista hasn't really been that impressive. Drew Lugbauers put together a really nice season so far, which is not what I would have expected coming into the season. And he still looked pretty good. Again, it's kind of intermittent production. Like he'll have a bad game and then you'll have a good game. So it's not like he's like consistently like, you know, tearing up the ball or anything like that. But in terms of like that consistent power threat in the Mississippi lineup, if I was to bet with those two guys that were gonna be doing that were Shea Langoliers and Drew Lugbauer, that is not where I would have placed my bet. But here we are and he's looked particularly he's looked pretty good. Uh, again, echoing I mean, Shea's been legitimately good. He's second in the league right now, behind old friend uh Izzy Wilson, former Braves prospect, oddly enough, uh, in Homer's. Uh again, you know, I with know. with <laughs> you know, with Izzy, it's a situation where, you know, the, the talent to be able to actually hit home runs wasn't ever the problem. It was the talent to actually listen to coaching instruction and, you know, be a person that could be a good teammate overall was, was the issue. Uh, so, you know, happy to find him. Hope he's finding success and hopefully he's kind of, you know, grown up a bit and kind of, and can find himself an opportunity because that's a guy a little big on talent. But again, for Shea, get putting up those kind of power numbers, the bar for catchers offensively is not high and, Shea's seeming like he can look, he's looked like he can be an above average hitter as a catcher, and defensively he is really, really fun. It is hysterical to me just like the highlight reels he puts up. And a lot of them there's there's quick pops, you know, on pitches just to throw guys out, and it's like by two or three steps. It's not that close. My favorite was the the ball that like got away from him, like way to his right. And like, the, the runner from first admittedly was not, I mean, this is a guy who was probably shouldn't be running under any circumstances, but it looked like he should have just easily been able to coast into second base, and out of nowhere, Shea just pops up and guns the guy out, and the guy was out standing up. He had no idea throw was coming, and it was just a free out, and Shea just does that all the time. If you take too, if you take too far of a lead off first, he is very likely to try to pick you off, and a lot of times he's successful. If you try to run on him, he, he, you are you are going to have to test his arm and you better be going full out and better be planning to slide around a tag because you're not getting free stolen bases against that guy. You're just it's just not gonna happen. Um again, Nolan Kingham almost threw a complete game shutout the other night. Uh, eight and two thirds, uh, didn't get the final out, but that's okay. He seems like they had a pretty hard cap on how many pitches they wanted him throwing. And after COVID with a layoff, I sort of understand that. I'm, you know, I'm sure he was a little bit upset about not being able to finish the game out and I'm sure that he would have loved to just have the chance to put that complete game on his ledger, but he looked really good. So a lot of soft content from Nolan and it's, it's kind of a situation where if that contact is a little harder and those grounders that he gets find holes, then he can kind of have some games that don't look particularly great. And then he kind of starts trying to get, you know, get swings and misses. That's, that's not necessarily his game, but he also has games where he goes deep in games because like the second pitch of every at bat, the guy grounds out to short. And there, there's a place for that kind of pitcher in the major leagues. It's just, not, it's not an easy profile to get to, but it's one that, you know, it seems like that's working out pretty well for him. And a guy who's like an older, you know, pitching prospect in terms of being a college draftee and his lost year with COVID, he's a guy that needs to put up some good numbers this year because you don't want to be kind of stuck in double in A AA or triple A for too long. Uh, I will continually throw out Matt, With- Matt Withrow's name uh, as much as humanly possible. Uh, his ERA is all the way up to 1.77 on the year. Uh, he threw a couple of innings the other day and gave up a run. But, again, he's still striking out guys at a good clip. I love Matt. I really kind of hope that he gets pumped up to AAA pretty soon. Again, it's kind of like I can give you starts or can give you, you know, some innings out of the bullpen. It's kind of that utility knife type of guy. I I still really like him. He's looked pretty good this year. I hope he gets that opportunity. Uh, and one last note before we kind of go to our commercial break is that uh Trey Harris has hit safely in four straight and he's certainly been a part of some beginnings for the Mississippi. But the weird thing for me with him is that there's just not much power at all to speak of. And I'm not thinking about just home runs because he's, I think he's up to three on the year, which is again, isn't a terrible number considering the park that he plays in. But like, just, we're just not seeing a lot of doubles from him either and just kind of, seeing that offensive production is really something I was expecting to see. I was expecting to see some a pretty healthy OPS out of him this year. And that's not really where it is. And it's not, it's not a problem with like him. He's drawing some walks. It's not, and it, the batting average is, you know, again, he had a rough start to the season. So I, I'm, I'm willing to give him a bit of a pass on that. It's just like the, the lack of hard contact that has found its way fair. He certainly hit some foul balls pretty hard, but overall, I want to see more power out of him, just more power production. Uh, the the uh, the funny bet that I made between him and uh, Justin Dean as to who was gonna what number was gonna be higher stolen bases versus extra bases for um, extra base hits for Trey versus stolen bases for J- Justin Dean has turned out to be a little bit closer than I was or at least a little bit lower on both counts than I was expecting. But hopefully you know both of those guys kind of find their way here pretty soon. So that's what we got for Triple A and Double A before we go to Rome and then Augusta. We're gonna take a short break to listen to a word from our sponsors. <music>
0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix Live
1: event happening May 5th Podcast host extraordinaire and longtime friend Brad Roland is pretty excited about one of the names that I know you're gonna talk about coming up for Rome. So talk to me a little bit about the guys that have been doing well down there.
2: Let's do it. I know Brad, I've tagged him in a few. Every single time I talk about this player, I see like three people tag Brad uh in the thread itself, but that's Jesse Franklin the fifth. Uh over his he's gone on a he's still let's 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 call a spade a spade. That first that first month of play was abysmal. That's not Jesse Franklin. That's not who got drafted by the Braves. That's not who he was in Michigan. Ever since then, he has hit the cover off of the ball. A 474 524 his slugging percentage is 1.158 over his last 7 days. Uh perfectly sustainable. Every, right. He's hit every single homer. He's got 5 on the season, every single homer in the in the month of June. Uh He's got seven strike. His strikeout numbers starting to go down too. He's got seven strikeouts in the last ten game. He is starting to look like the player the Braves wanted to draft in the in, in the 2020 draft. He's hitting the ball. He's hitting the ball hard. He's hitting the ball well. Uh, he's playing a decent uh, decent outfield. You know, he's someone that's going to be on a fast track. They're going to try and get him up uh, to Triple A as soon as possible because he does have that experience in in uh, in in uh, college. But he's doing extremely well. He's pretty much erased every single doubt that was formed from that abysmal start to the season. So I've been just thrilled to watch him, and Brad has been even more thrilled. Uh, the second one is was a debut, and I know that's someone that all of us have been talking about coming into the season. How is he going to do? Is this this is like the year for him? He's slightly older. I think he's 24 now. Uh, and that's Freddie Tarnock. When we drafted him, we knew he was super raw and he was going to be a project. Struggled with injuries, COVID hit. He hasn't been able to get the time in. He made his debut uh, last week and looked like the pitcher that the Braves would have used on a first-round draft pick in high school. Uh, he showed a great curveball to every to both sides of the play. It didn't matter if he were a lefty or a righty. He was going to paint that curveball and it had sharp break to it. Uh, His fastball, his command of it, at least for this last outing, was superb. I did not expect that whatsoever, and he was able to stay in the mid-90s and kind of push it towards 96, 97. His changeup, it flashed average, and that was another big step for him. Is he going to have that third pitch? Is he going to be a straight reliever? Is he going to be a starter? Well, all of a sudden, he's looking like a legitimate starter that has two-plus pitches and a changeup that can totally work. Uh, His whiff rate and his – in his debut game was at 57%. Like hitters didn't know what to do against him. And he made sure that he kept that going eight strikeouts in his first game back, four innings, no hits, no runs, and just one walk to say that I was impressed by him would be an understatement. Again, like coming into the season, this was kind of it for him in terms for, for, for me, I didn't think that this was going to be the end all be all, but he had to show some kind of progression. And based on that last outing, I'm all in. I want to see him. I'm I'm totally going to tune into his next game. I want to see him continue to attack hitters. I want to see him see if he can continue to throw that curveball to both sides, uh, have great command of that fastball, because if so, the Braves have an absolute stud and is someone that we are going to see rise really quickly amongst uh, prospect rankings over the next year or so. Uh, And to end on the low note again, uh, you know, I've talked about Bryce Ball a couple of times now this season, and his walk rate has maintained is still elite. Uh, he only hit 154 last week, but still had an on-base percentage of 389. Like I said earlier in the podcast, I don't care about how you get on as long as you get on, and he's still getting on at a great at a great rate. Unfortunately, last week, the power disappeared. Uh, he had a 231 slugging percentage, so all of a sudden a, a 620 OPS over his last seven, uh, if you're not going to hit, if you're not going to have a high batting average, you have to hit for power. And if he's not going to hit for power and he's not going to have a defensive home, you really wonder about his ceiling. You really wonder if his path, if he does have that path to the majors. So it's something to not necessarily base the entire year on, um, but it's something to watch. If he's not going to hit for power... Bryce Ball is a, is a scary prospect. Uh, if he is, then I really don't care if you hit 125 as your batting average. If he's gonna get on on base at a near 400 clip, like who really cares? But again, it, it, it all comes down to if he's going when he does hit. If he hits for power and right in the past seven games, he hasn't. So that's why he kind of made the the bad list. But there's still a lot to like about him. I still think he's better than, I still think his hit tool is better than his batting average is displaying right now. How good it is remains to be seen, but he's not a 130 or he's not a 154 hitter. We we know that if he's able to get that up to even like a 240, 250 clip and then his on-base percentage is still at like a 390 and he's slugging for 470, 480, that's a legitimate baseball player. That's someone that has a path to the majors. So it's just something to monitor. Really take a, You're not too worried about him. You you know he's a better hitter than that, but it's just something to to really, really watch over the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, before I kind of share my notes on ball, I do want to share about a couple of notes. Uh, Michael Harris is still hitting. I know that if we don't mention him, people are going to ask what's going on with him. He's still hitting. He's still hitting well. Uh, Not as much power, uh, at least not consistently, I would say. You know, and again, I would like to see him just kind of driving the ball with more authority or at least kind of like allowing those some of those line drives to be converted more into outs as opposed – he's into the runs as a, and hits as opposed to in the outs. He's definitely lined some hard balls right at guys. Uh So he's had some unfortunate bad luck, but he's still hitting. I do need to start seeing uh, a bit uh improvements in his play discipline a bit. In terms of just being able to draw walks, I know that he, you know, sees a lot of strikes and feels like that he can kind of put any ball in play, which frankly might be true. But it's a situation where I do kind of want to see that, you know, it seems like pitchers aren't necessarily respecting what he can do in the zone. And maybe if he's able to drive the ball with more authority, then pitchers might start, you know, pitching around him a bit more. And then we can start to see the kind of that plate discipline that I think he has uh kind of shine through a little bit. I don't think he's just like constantly hacking up there, but I do wish that he would kind of be a little bit better and a little bit less vulnerable on the outside part of the plate, because there's definitely been times where some off speed stuff has kind of fooled him. And he's definitely had some strikeouts where I feel like he, you know, at the very least should be able to follow that pitch off um spencer strider has looked a little bit more human in rome but overall is still looking good still striking out a bunch of guys but he's he's given up a couple of runs here and there so again don't don't think that he's gonna be in atlanta like tomorrow or anything like that he's still a guy that needs some development but we really like what we see in terms of the velocity you know I'd like to see maybe pitch a little bit later in games, but for those guys who are a little bit lower in the minors and kind of how much usage they got last year and kind of building them back up, I totally understand it. And, you know, the Rome bullpen certainly has some interesting guys that they want to give some time to. So that's certainly part of that discussion, but you know, again, yeah, let's see some five innings, six, six inning games from, from Strider, at least kind of getting a little bit deeper into games to kind of see how well that velocity holds up uh, that fastball is, Really super duper elite, and I really like watching it. Uh, I just want to share on ball. I'm beginning to get. Up. I am. I feel like I'm a little bit more concerned about the hit tool than you are, particularly against kind of that like breaking stuff and off speed stuff. He has five hits in the month of June, and this is after a rough May. So again, you know his ability to draw walks. That's that's certainly a, a non-zero consideration, and there's certainly plenty of teams that don't really have much interest in how do I put it in pitching to him in the zone because he's a guy that can drive the ball, but he's going to have to start, punish, you know, punishing these pitches a little bit more. And I think that if he starts hitting a little bit better, that might help Michael down the road. Cause that might means he might get some better pitches to hit as opposed to feel like he has to make something happen with Bryce struggling behind him. You know, again, th- these are all approach considerations that ne- necessarily, don't necessarily, Translates super well to how the major leagues work, but in the minor leagues, you know, when you know that you are feel like you, every bat is going to be dissected so much that you feel like you need to make something happen, then that can might, like, you know, once you struggle a little bit about against off-speed stuff, then maybe feels like you need to punish those pitches, and then you end up over-swinging, and, you know, it seems like we're seeing some of that with Bryce, because while he's certainly walking a good bit, he's also striking out a good bit, and you just need to see, I just need to see more from him, because that production's really important, and he doesn't look like the same hitter. He doesn't seem that pa- that same patient guy. It seems like he's not, like, you know, waiting on pitches to come to him, waiting for his pitch. It seems like he's kind of, you know, just kind of sits there and then gets into a deep count, and then he has to figure out – he figures out he has to swing at something. And every once in a while it works out, but for the most part, it seems like it's been kind of rough. So overall, you know, a little bit disappointing to see from Bryce because, again, that's a guy we really liked and a guy that is really, really interesting as a prospect. But he's definitely got to figure out his these – that kind of the, the not fastball stuff, because he's a guy that can, it doesn't, it's not a bad speed problem. I'm not even sure it's a pitch recognition problem. It just feels like he's kind of not kind of understanding what his swing should be against certain pitches, particularly against that off speed stuff on the outside. Uh, lastly, we go to Augusta. I, we were talking a little bit about this before the podcast was that, you know, this is a weird Augusta roster now. I mean, like it starts off as kind of an interesting and, and intriguing roster. And then we start keying in on the guys that we like. And then the rest of the guys, we start kind of wondering what their purpose is. And there's a lot more of the latter right now than there is of the former, but I know there's a few guys that we want to touch on. So go ahead and talk about Augusta.
2: It's such a, it's such a weird, weird roster. There's so many players where, you can tell they were they were late signings and they're kind of uh, I'm not gonna say roster fillers everyone has promise but they're not someone that you're necessarily watching all the time but there are a few stars on that team and the first and foremost one I, I, I like basically need to talk about and it kind of he kind of profiles a lot like what I hope Jared Johnson will and that's Joey Yestes. Uh, one start five point two innings three hits 11 strikeouts zero walks uh, so I've he's watched
1: really it. really good.
2: Yeah, I've watched almost every single start from him now, and he is so much better than I ever expected him to be at this stage of his career. So young, again, 2020 didn't even get to play, and comes out swinging like this, unreal. Righties aren't hitting him. He's he's got a what? He's got a 464 OPS against righties. He's got like a 459 OPS against lefties. Uh, runners on, no one's hitting him. He's got a sub 400 uh, OPS when runners are on. He's got a a sub 500 OPS when the bases are empty. He's tracking out 13 per nine. He's walking two per nine. He's showing amazing control of that fastball. He's got a great slider. And now his changeup is keeping right-handed batters uh, off balance because it's showing so much break to the right-hand side. He is someone to watch. He is someone that's going to be on a lot of people's prospect list by the end of this year. He's been so much better than I thought he would be. I I loved the pick when we got him. I expected him to be a lot more raw than this. He shows up just straight firing. And if you have MILB TV, you 100% need to watch him pitch because he's fun. Um, The second would have to be the reigning pitcher of the week, and that is Darius Vines. He's a little older than SD, so you want to see him be able to put together quality uh, outings at low A, and he's done that exact thing uh hitters aren't hitting against him he's he's against righties he's got a sub 500 ops against lefties he's got a sub 500 ops batters on uh, bases empty hitter or or uh runners on doesn't really matter runners on actually he's got a sub 300 or th- sub 400 ops so he gets even better uh he's striking out 11.4 per 9 he's walking 3 per 9 uh, his arsenal is, is definitely like a little less dynamic than Joey, but he's still a low to mid nineties fastball that comes out a little straight. But for whatever reason, hitters can't barrel it. I know that's something I need to watch more and figure out kind of why. Because to me, again, the fa- the fastball does look a little straight, but people just can't hit it. His changeup is, yes, it's it's fantastic. It's everything you could want. It's that is enough of a pitch in low way for him to be a dominating pitcher, and that's exactly what's happening. And then his curveball is really flashing, really promising. And for a player that you – I personally didn't expect to light the world on fire. He's shown so much more than I expected. It's not just he's an older guy in low weight dominating. He's dominating in a way that showcases his real talent. And if he's able to continue this kind of trajectory, he's really going to build up his uh, status as a prospect as well. And he's been someone – I mean, he won pitcher of the week. He came off of that and had another outstanding outing, two outstanding outings following that. Like he's someone to watch as well. He's definitely going to be popping up on lists. Uh, a third person that I have to highlight just because he's like one of the three stars, and that's Vaughn Grissom. I, I can't say enough about his hit tool. He's been so much better than I thought. Uh, he's not hitting for power yet, but it's coming along. He's starting to become a little more confident uh, at at the uh, at the plate, but I mean, last last seven days, he's got he's hitting 381, 500, 429. one double, five walks, four strikeouts. Plate disciplines really, really good. His eyes really good. His hit tool is, starting, is so much better than I thought. If he's able to start hitting for power, you have yourself. I, I'm not gonna. Okay, fine. I mean, if he starts hitting for power, that's a top 100 prospect. Uh, so something to really, really watch. I'm super. I'm so happy with how he's uh, started off the season. And then um. You know, we have to – I feel bad because we've talked about him a couple times on the not-so-well-performing list, and that's Paolini. Uh, got a three thirty four OPS over his last seven. Uh, not walking, not hitting the ball. He's not hitting for power. Uh, struggling against righties, really struggling against righties, r- struggling against lefties. You know, you, the Braves, when they drafted him, I was kind of like – okay, I need to find more research on him. I need to figure out who he is as a player right now. He just looks like he's overwhelmed and maybe being sent to uh, extended to work on some things is going to be in his future. I'm not sure there's also dynamics with how that impacts his like a mental state. So that's, I, I don't exactly know how they're going to handle it, but right now uh, it's just too much for him and they need to kind of slow his progression down and really get back to the basics because uh, frankly he just doesn't look great. And uh, you're you're hopeful that it's gonna turn around any time, but every single week that we're talking about him it's not. And so let's see how the Braves really adjust. Let's see what the Braves do, but he's someone that uh, right now doesn't look to really deserve to be the starting center fielder over in Augustus and uh, you know, you don't wanna see that happen. He was a high he was a highly you know, a high draft pick and yeah it was a lot to do with signability and, and saving some money, but you don't, you still don't draft a guy that high and not expect him to at least be better than this. So uh, I'm really going to be monitoring what the Braves do. I, I do think that he should be sent down and, and kind of get back to basics. But uh, I, I would actually love to hear what you have to say about him too, Eric.
1: Yeah, it's been a tough situation because he's looked good defensively. Like it's not like he seems like he can play a really good center field. But at the plate, like, he'll start to get like, one or two games where you'll have a couple hits. You're like, okay. seems like he's slowly figuring things out. And then he has, like, five or six games where he just doesn't do anything. And that's – now, this – to be fair, this entire Augusta roster, like, it seems like that they take games off with the notable exception of walks. Like, they'll get, like, three hits in a game, but then they'll walk, like, nine or ten times or in – like, I mean, they've lost a game where they walked 20 times. So it's kind of a weird roster, right? So – I guess we should talk about it. Is that I think at this point, I mean, there are, on the pitching side, there's some really interesting, there's some really interesting guys. Uh, Some, a few have struggled. Some are really excelling. Uh, I think that Joey Estes is headed, is going to be headed for Rome before too long. Darius Fines might not be far behind him. And I expect that there's going to be some draftees that are going to be on this low A roster pretty quickly, right? I think that once the draft happens next month, a lot of these guys that are kind of in that after round five type, those types of college guys, are going to start filling in this roster because I would be. I wanted to kind of see what's going on down in extended because there shouldn't be a reason why guys like Bryson Horn, Brett Langhorn, guys like the and you know Cam Shepard. These are not guys who are performing well at Augusta at all. They're just not. And you know when you have a guy with a high ceiling like Mackay, like you need a guy to kind of start giving him some op- opportunities to get some better pitching. And again, he might not. It's entirely possible he's not ready yet, but I would p- certainly prefer to watch him play versus kind of what we're seeing in Augusta where it's like kind of these undirected free agents and these late-round guys just not being able to hit and have, like, no ceiling whatsoever. It's been kind of tough to watch. And, again, we don't know exactly who's comprises and who's performing well down in Extended and what the Braves' plan is for how to utilize Extended in this kind of weird year right after the COVID layoff. Maybe the plan is just to keep guys, whoever's in Extended to keep most of them, if not all of them, through at least, like, we just saw Jared Johnson debut, right? Tarnock was on rehab, so that's not necessarily the same thing, whereas him, him debuting in high A, but we see, like, Jared Johnson de- debut. I think we might start to see more of those guys starting to get integrated into Augusta's roster because right now it just it doesn't feel like you're watching guys, particularly on the offensive side, that have much future. Now, Paulini's case is interesting because it seems like he's overmatched and he has some things that he really needs to work on, and you may be right. Maybe he just needs some time down in extended spring to kind of get right work on, you know, kind of some the fundamentals, working on pitch recognition, seeing some like professional quality velocity and things like that in a controlled setting where they can kind of figure out some things, let them tweak with some things without being kind of in the midst of full season ball. But other than Vaughn Grissom, I mean, who are we really excited to watch about offensively on this Augusta team? I mean, Willie Carter is cert- is certainly fun to watch, but and he's certainly not a guy that I am concerned about. But Other than that, I mean, it's a lot of kind of walks, and then everyone, and then it's who ran into a ball this night, right? It's just not, we're not, you're not seeing a particularly high quality of play, and for good reason. There's a lot, all these guys basically didn't get to play last year, and and, you know, these aren't guys that were at the alternate site. They basically had instructs, and that's pretty much it. So I I would like to see some changes to this roster, and see kind of see what has, what's going to kind of come out of extended spring to kind of mold this roster a bit and again with the draft coming up not the not not the biggest deal because again you're going to have some more guys that fill out those lower minor rosters a bit more but right now it just it's it's tough to watch this team offensively because other than like you know von grissom's obviously been doing great willie carter certainly has been good uh bralio vasquez is really good at stealing bases i'm not sure if he's good at much else but he will certainly run at any given opportunity beyond that it's just not a particularly fun team to watch offensively it's just not now you watch them for pitching prospects because you want to see if Tyler Owens turns things around. Joey Sis isn't great. Darius Vines isn't great. Roderick Munoz has certainly cooled off a good bit. Uh, you know, but again, still a really live fastball. I want to see him continuing to locate that uh, and get guys to get swings and misses on those pitches. But he's still, again, he still has some time to figure things out. Those are interesting arms. There's certainly there's some interesting arms that are kind of coming out of their bullpen on occasion as well. But you know, offensively, this is a, I think a team that needs a little bit of a roster rework because you can tell. This is, this is the, certainly the affiliate that is filling that low minors roster crunch more than anywhere else in the Braves organization. And some of that's the result of having a five round draft last year, but I'm curious to see kind of what in extended spring would I think be a better use of full season ball playing time than what is currently being used right now. And that's just kind of where my general thought is on it, right? Uh, and I'd like to see those changes come sooner rather than later. Uh, that's pretty much all we got for this week. Garavi, anything else you want to share before we let people go?
2: Make sure to tune in to the Rome Braves tomorrow because Tuki Toussaint makes a rehab appearance. You're not going to want to miss that. It'll be a key part to the Atlanta bullpen if he's able to maintain health and and really show what he's capable of.
1: I'm excited to see Tuki too. I I, I was really hopeful that he was going to be back sooner rather than later with that injury. Uh, it always kind of they, they were almost too quiet about it putting him on the 60 day IL and I was a little bit concerned that it was like a more serious situation than they were letting on. So seeing him kind of get rehabbing and get back and kind of see what his velocity looks like, seeing how he looks, those are definitely going to be some exciting things for me. Uh, other than that, make sure you're tuning in soon because over the next few weeks, we've already started draft ramping up our draft coverage. Matt's been really kind of hard at work and kind of giving you guys some ideas as who's should to some targets in the first round. He had a piece go up last week about, you know, some potential uh, second and third day targets for the Braves in the draft. Uh, Other than that, uh, on a more personal note, uh, you're actually going to be getting quite a bit of content from me. Uh, It just won't be on this particular feed. Uh, or at least not any more content than usual. I'm not going anywhere. Road to Atlanta is going to still be happening on most weeks, assuming that nothing else crazy goes on. Uh, and I'll still be regularly appearing on the Talking Chop podcast as well. But I also have three new weekly podcasts that are going to be coming out. One is going to be uh, Believe in Braves, which is on the Believe Podcast Network. All three of these are. is It's, um, it's going to be a general weekly Braves podcast, kind of running down what happens during the week. But more importantly, I'm really trying to kind of turn that into a mailbag show where the first half is going to be kind of catch and go, Folks, on what's going on with the Braves every week. And then the second half is just going to be all mailbag questions every week. So it's going to rely on you, our listeners, to kind of, once I put those calls out for questions, you guys to ask me questions, and I'll be bringing them about the podcast and answering them to the best of my ability. Uh, and, again, that's uh, you'll be able to find this on my Twitter account, at Leprechaun with a K. That's kind of what the names of all these are. But Believe in Braves, spelled B-L-E-A-V. Um, and then also we have Hobby Talk, which is a sports card collecting podcast, which – is going to be a lot of fun for me as a baseball card collector and kind of really being involved with the hobby over the last few years where I kind of talk about the set releases and what's going on in the hobby, uh, personal triumphs of mine, collecting, things like that. And then finally we're going to have down on the farm, which is going to be a general league wide minor league podcast that I'm going to be doing with Wayne Cavati uh, each week. and We're going to talk about the, 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 all the levels of the minor leagues, the top prospects as well as some guys who maybe deserve more attention each week. All those podcasts will be coming out, and again, they'll be kind of in that Tuesday to Thursday range. It won't change the schedule of Road to Atlanta at all. I'll still be here every week. I'll still, and it doesn't change the schedule for the Talking Chop Podcast. You just get a little bit more of me if you want it. But in order for that to happen, I need you guys to just go on to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all those, all those Spotify, SoundCloud, all those places. Find those podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and you're downloading those those episodes so that I can keep those podcasts going. Because I'm really excited to kind of get that going, and you know, just to kind of be. Um, more focused on the podcast world than I have been in the past. And I'm really looking forward to doing that. So that's pretty much all I've got. Thank you all so much for listening, downloading, subscribing, leaving reviews. Make sure you do that. on it- Make sure you're leaving reviews on iTunes, on Google Play, all those things. Those things allow us to grow the podcast. Make sure that you're saying nice things to Brad Roland because he works far too hard to be able to, to take some of the crap that some of you guys give him. Uh, he's working really hard, particularly with the the Hawks the Hawks playoff run. But make sure you're subscribed to the Talking Shop podcast feed to get not only this podcast, where you get all the minor league goodies that you ever want, but you also get the Talking Shop podcast where all the major league goodies reside as well, hosted by, again, the great, the great Brad Roland. Thank you again so much. Until next time, we will see you on the road.